Hello, Podcast Nation. You are listening to my autobiography, Tina Lives, written and read by me, Tina. Who am I? Nobody. But when asked the simplest questions in life, like, where are you from? There was never a simple answer. So I decided to jot the answers down in a book about growing up hippie, surviving the South, and getting the hell out, which is why Tina Lives. Episode 5, Dead Flowers. Gorton's death killed the hippies, at least my hippies anyway. The center of the universe exploded, and satellite souls were propelled into darkness, left alone to integrate, flounder, or destruct. Two of his best friends suffered nervous breakdowns, while several others tumbled into severe depressions, many of them lasting for years. I had always accused Gorton of being a guru, but it wasn't because of his actions so much as the actions of those around him. It was easy not to fall under his spell. Sue and I didn't, and we were just as lost as the rest of them. But then again, some are moss and some are the flame. My relationship with Gorton had always been out of the corner of my eye, at an arm's length. I still didn't know why he had taken me in, but Sue says it was simply because he was asked. She told me he threw the I Ching to find out if it was a good idea, and the coins suggested it was not. In their wise counsel, he was too immature to handle such a responsibility. But Gorton took this as a challenge instead of a caution. And for that, I am thankful. I went to Gorton's memorial in Fayetteville because I loved Fayetteville and it was time to deal. The gathering was held at what was supposed to be a haunted house in the woods. I roamed up and down the creaky stairs, hoping to be frightened by a ghost, but I never got so lucky. The house was small and the crowd of Gorton's friends was large, so we seated ourselves on a stone wall that separated the yard from a field of glistening tall blue-green grass. The sky was a gray gloom, which helped facilitate the somber mood of a memorial. There was an attempt at jovality, but in the end, it fell flat. People reminisced about a man I barely knew. Their stories ranged from altruistic to narcissistic, as any guru tale would tend to do. 
I kept quiet and ignored the wanting and the waiting from a crowd who seemed much more eager than me to put a spotlight on their incredible pain and loss. I didn't need that kind of attention, and I had nothing to say. If I were nicer, I would have loved Gorton more. And if I could have, I would have. And if I looked deeper inside of me where Tina lived, I would have known that I did. The paradigm shifted, and the hippies were truly dead. You said goodbye, my love. There's nothing. Emancipation, 15 years old. For several weeks after Gorton died, I had no idea what was going on with my legal status or where I might end up. Sometime after my 15th birthday, Sue and Andy sat me down on one of Gorton's old black naugahyde couches and thrust a yellow legal pad into my face. On it, were a bunch of numbers and the answers to the questions that I had never asked out loud. As I was to understand it, I had inherited the Heartbreak Hotel, $25,000, and I had been emancipated. I was legally in charge of myself, but with one caveat. Andy and some guy at the bank, whom I didn't even know, were in charge of my money. I was horrified. Andy? I couldn't stand Andy, and I thought everyone knew that. I spent most of the time trying to avoid him. His authoritarian nature aggravated me, and he was always trying to get me to play by the rules, which were still unclear. And at this point, a preposterous expectation. I had been duly formed as a rebellious wild child with a mind of my own. And for that matter, why the hell couldn't Sue be my guardian? That seemed to make the most sense. And that's what I thought was going to happen. But no, Sue had some sort of excuse that I have since bleached from my memory. But I am sure that it was indeed lame. As per usual in hurtful times, I kept quiet and acted like I didn't care. There were only two thoughts bouncing around my head. Okay, assholes, whatever. And emancipation? Sure, I can deal with that. 
So what does an emancipated minor with a pissed-off chip on her shoulder do? Seek medication, of course. And lucky for me, one of the creepy guys that Lil and I hung out with told me that he could get me some pills. He didn't tell me what kind of pills, and I should have been scared because I had never taken any pills other than allergy medicine. But if not now, then when, right? There's something without warning There's heavy on my mind The creepy guy, who was not at all good-looking, came over on a night when I was alone in the Heartbreak Hotel. He presented me with two enormous pills. I gave him a $20 bill, and then he left. I had no idea what I was putting into my mouth, and I didn't really care. They were going to do something or nothing at all. So I sat on my bed, waiting and rocking. Within 30 minutes, I could barely move my body. It felt like a 500-pound animal was sitting on top of my head. None of my limbs felt connected to my torso, and they seemed to be living in some parallel universe. I got up and tried to walk, but the world had gained 20 times the normal amount of gravity, and my legs couldn't lift. My tongue had become a concrete brick, and I knew I needed help immediately. I slowly made my way to the staircase, sliding along the wall for stability. The hallway was, as usual, dim, which further complicated the cone of vision I was seeing through. My legs felt long and fat, and I couldn't gauge when to drop down to the next step. I held on to the stair rail for dear life, while my brain gave my body orders in what sounded like back-masking, slow, garbled, and devilish. Finally downstairs, I managed to pick up the phone receiver, which was incredibly heavy and I dialed Lil's number. My big fat tongue smushed out the words, Lil, I need help. I sat down in the red armchair where Gorton used to write his grants, rested my head, and once again waited. Lil strolled in with her casual, carefree, and unaffected self. She did not look like someone who had just been called to the duty of rescue. She was relaxed and amused as she cocked her head a bit to the side and started laughing at me. I was too swallowed up by these pills to register any complaints, and I could only lift my arm slowly and point to the kitchen. Coffee, I said. I could hear Lil as she pittered and pattered softly around the kitchen, rustling me up a cup. 
Lil was never loud. She did everything quietly. And quietly could also mean sneaky, which is what we were to become later on in life. She brought me a tepid cup of barely black coffee with the grounds floating on top. Her family made instant, but at the Heartbreak Hotel, we brewed, and if I could have, I would have groaned or laughed, but my heart was beating too slowly to do either. We couldn't decide whether or not I should go to the hospital, so she called the creepy guy and asked him what he had given me. They were the tranquilizers used to control his father's seizures and not to worry, it would wear off soon. Lil decided I needed to walk it off, so she pulled me up from the chair, threw my arm over her shoulder, and walked me out into the dark. Maybe the fresh air would revive my senses or lift the heavy weight of chemicals off my muscles, but we barely made it down the block before turning back to climb the mile-high concrete steps that led to the Heartbreak Hotel. The decision was made that I would sleep it off and hopefully awake in the morning free and clear. Yeah.